Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, August 12th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. Tonight we'll talk about the President's proxy on abortion and what she's doing to make sure unborn babies continue to be killed in our country. I will be sharing all of the primary results that occurred this week in political news in a nutshell. You will also want to hear about the exciting events that happened at CPAC as the attendees were awake and not woke. Stay tuned for a disturbing story that occurred in Nebraska as well as all of this week's abortion news. This week we also celebrate the life of Nellie Gray, founder of the March for Life. Father Frank and Janet Marana will share some anecdotes of their personal relationship with her. Be sure to stay till the end when we share pro-life Spider-Man's quest to take the pro-life message to new heights. The abortion cartel and its supporters have long been frustrated with Joe Biden's seeming inability to say the word abortion. There's even a website called Did Biden Say Abortion Yet? that kept track of his use of the word for his first 468 days in office, including the day the Roe v. Wade decision was leaked. By that point, he had used the word once. Biden has not always been an abortion supporter. Serving his second term in the U.S. Senate in 1981, he voted for a constitutional amendment to allow individual states to overturn Roe v. Wade. The amendment never made it out of committee, but throughout his long career in the Senate and as Barack Obama's vice president, Biden supported the Hyde Amendment, which since 1976 has protected taxpayers from funding most abortions. But on the campaign trail in 2019, presidential candidate Biden bowed to the wishes of the abortion ideologues in the Democrat Party and switched sides on Hyde. His decision to choose Kamala Harris as his running mate looked to pro-lifers as another nod to abortion extremists inside and outside his party. As the California Attorney General, Harris went after the undercover journalists who filmed numerous Planned Parenthood officials talking about the illegal harvest and sale of baby body parts. In her mind, Planned Parenthood was the victim, not the perpetrator. Now Harris has slipped into the role of the president's proxy on abortion. On Monday, she met with college and university leaders to ask them what they are doing to safeguard abortion access on their campuses. In recent weeks, she has held abortion roundtables with various groups, chaired the inaugural meeting of the Task Force on Reproductive Health Care Access, and met with, or plans to meet with, Democrat legislators in numerous states. She met with Latina legislators from seven states on Monday to discuss building a coalition to fight pro-life laws. And she even met virtually from the White House with a group of abortionists. But can Harris really do anything to ensure the United States continues aborting its children until their due dates? You might recall that Biden named Harris his point person on the border crisis in the Southwest. She was completely ineffectual, once famously telling NBC anchor Lester Holt that she hadn't yet been to the border. Let's listen. There's one other topic I wanted to uh, talk to you about, but let me just quickly put a button. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I'm here in Guatemala today at some point. You know, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe. And I I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. Somewhere along the line, she quietly dropped her immigration role and now is leading the White House effort to safeguard abortion. But as Biden himself has acknowledged, there's very little the executive branch can do now that states once again have the right to regulate abortion and the Democrats in Congress are so extreme that they will never get a bill passed on the national level. So chances are good that Harris could be just as ineffectual as the president's abortion proxy as she was as his borders are. 
And now we turn to political news around the country. The South Dakota right to an abortion amendment may appear on the ballot as a constitutional amendment on November 5, 2024. This ballot measure would make abortion legal in South Dakota with regulations after the first and second trimester. In the measure, the state may regulate abortion after the first trimester when it is related to the health of the pregnant woman. At the end of the second trimester, the measure says that the state may regulate or prohibit abortion except when it is necessary in the medical judgment of the woman's physician to preserve the life or physical or emotional health of the pregnant woman. If this amendment is passed, I would think that not many babies will be born in South Dakota if the emotional health of a pregnant woman is a reason to abort a baby at the end of the second trimester. In Colorado, the proposed ballot measure seeking to ban abortion will not appear on the November ballot. According to the Elections Division, backers of Initiative 56 stated they would not be submitting petition signatures ahead of the 5 p.m. deadline on Monday. The ballot measure sought to define murder of a child and ban abortion except in a few cases. Both anti-abortion advocates and abortion rights activists noted the measure offered no legal carve-out for women who get an abortion. The ballot measure sought to prohibit the intentional murder of a child prior to, during, or after birth, and up to age 18. It is also established that such intentional murder, including by providers, would carry criminal penalties to be enforced by the Attorney General and in collaboration with local law enforcement and district attorneys. Unfortunately, we fell short of the mark, proponent Angela Eicher told Colorado Politics. She wouldn't divulge how many signatures they collected, saying, we got enough to show God is moving in this state, but not enough to get on the ballot. She said they hope to try again in the future. Republican voters in Wisconsin and Minnesota on Tuesday nominated abortion foes for governor, ensuring the issue will be central to what was expected to be two of the most high-profile races in November's general election. In Wisconsin, Republican construction magnate Tim Michaels will face Democratic Governor Tony Evers, while in Minnesota, former Republican state Senator Scott Jensen will challenge Democratic Governor Tim Waltz. Also in Minnesota, Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar, a member of the Progressive Squad, survived a surprisingly close contest for her Minneapolis-based House seat. She's running for a third term in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. Capitalizing on an endorsement from former President Trump, conservative Greenwich fundraiser Leora Levy roared to a stunning victory Tuesday night after moderate Themis Clarides in a race that surprised Connecticut on primary day. We're making history here, Levy said in her victory speech. It's really exciting. This is just chapter one. We've got the longer chapter ahead. This has been an amazing experience for me. My sister and I escaped communist Cuba this is our story, and our journey was tragedy and sacrifice. But it was hope at the end, and we found hope here in America. My American dream is I am a candidate here for the U.S. Senate. When Levy thanked her opponents, a supporter in the large crowd booed. No, please, no booing, Levy responded. We need to unify. They each ran aggressive campaigns. We agreed on some issues, but I know they love our country, too. She added, I would like to thank President Trump for your strong, clear, unequivocal endorsement. I will not let you down. Thank you for having my back.
The primary in Hawaii will be held on Saturday, August 13th, and primaries in Alaska and Wyoming will take place on August 16th. Please visit our online store for election resources to help you during this critical time leading up to the midterm elections. Visit ProLifeProducts.org slash election resources. And that's political news in a nutshell. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is the largest and most influential gathering of conservatives in the world. Launched in 1974, CPAC brings together conservative organizations, thousands of activists, millions of viewers, and the best and brightest leaders in the world. This year's CPAC was held last week in Dallas. Father Frank Pavone, National Director, and Janet Moran, Executive Director of Priests for Life, were among the many attendees. A straw poll conducted at the conference found that the most pro-life president, Donald Trump, is still the overwhelming favorite among attendees. Senator Ted Cruz, who spoke at the conference, came in third with 2% of the vote, coming up short to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. However, in a hypothetical poll that did not include Trump in the race, DeSantis got 65%. DeSantis was also the top potential choice for vice president nominee at 43%. President Trump ended his almost two-hour speech just short of announcing another run for the presidency, stating, we may have to do it again. CPAC was three days jam-packed with many other speakers and panels. One of the highlights included Representative Matt Gates, who said, I am a Florida man and I am proud to be Nancy Pelosi's worst enemy. We have to take on big tech. This is Donald Trump's party. Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, gave a spirited talk. Our own Janet Marana had an opportunity to say hello to Senator Cruz and also gave her new book, Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens, to the senator's father. Republican women were strongly represented. Colorado Representative Lauren Bobart, commentator and Republican nominee for governor of Michigan, Tudor Dixon, as well as Republican nominee for governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, were among the women who took the stage. The pro-life presence was very prominent, and abortion was discussed in several panels featuring pro-life leaders, including Carol Tobias, National Right to Life, Penny Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, and Congresswoman Michelle Fishback, co-chair of Pro-Life Caucus in the House of Representatives. The exhibit hall also contained pro-life displays. Father Frank and Janet Morana were very busy participants at CPAC. Father Frank celebrated daily mass, was part of a panel on the role of faith in public life, and had numerous interviews, including one with Steve Bannon, the former advisor to President Donald Trump. Janet was also on Steve Bannon's War Room and held many interviews as well. Janet got to share her new book with several of the attendees. For additional information on Priests for Life participation in CPAC and all of our other travels, please visit priestsforlife.org frontlines. Last week, Indiana became the first state to pass a new law banning most abortions since Roe v. Wade was overturned June 24th. The bill will take effect September 15th and bans all abortions except for mothers who conceived as a result of rape and incest, lethal fetal anomaly, and to save the life of the mother. Doctors who perform illegal abortions would lose their medical licenses, and the law also will strip licenses from abortion facilities that are not hospitals or outpatient clinics owned by hospitals. Planned Parenthood has several centers in Indiana that will remain open but will not be able to offer abortion. Making news this week from Nebraska is the story of an 18-year-old and her mother who were arrested in June on several charges following the at-home abortion and burial of the young woman's 23-week baby, three weeks past the legal limit in the state. 
Celeste Burgess and her mother, Jessica Burgess, are charged with removing, concealing, or abandoning a dead human body, concealing the death of another person, and false reporting. Jessica Burgess is additionally charged with performing or attempting an abortion greater than 20 weeks and performing an abortion when not a licensed doctor. Police received a tip that Celeste, then 17, had given birth to a stillborn baby on April 22nd, then buried the baby. But investigators later found Facebook messages between the mother and daughter that revealed an alleged plot to have Celeste undergo a home abortion with pills her mother bought online. The news exploded this week when the Facebook angle was exposed. Messages that went back and forth between the two include Celeste saying, remember, we will burn the evidence and I will finally be able to wear jeans. With pro-aborts up in arms and the hashtag delete Facebook trending on Twitter, the social media giant released the following statement. Nothing in the valid warrants we received from local law enforcement in early June prior to the Supreme Court decision mentioned abortion. The warrants concerned charges related to a criminal investigation and court documents indicate that police at the time were investigating the case of a stillborn baby who was burned and buried, not a decision to have an abortion. There's more news from the Cornhusk State this week. With not enough support to pass a ban on second trimester abortions, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts has canceled plans to call the legislature back into session. Ricketts was hoping to sign a law that would drop the legal limit for abor abortion from 20 to 12 weeks. Most of the free world has more reasonable abortion laws than Nebraska, the governor said. The crime wave targeting churches and pro-life facilities reached Denver this week, where an assailant caused $75,000 in damages after firing into the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary Catholic Church. The church was targeted twice, on Saturday and again on Monday. Police are looking for a motorcyclist who was caught on a security camera firing a handgun as he drove by. Life News has identified 100 instances of arson, vandalism, threats and harassment against pro-life organizations since the Roe v. Wade decision was leaked in May. As the Senate debated a, the $740 billion climate tax and health care bill, Democrats voted down an amendment to assert that only women get pregnant. Florida Senator Marco Rubio proposed the amendment to ensure funding for federal pregnancy programs goes only to biological females. All 50 Senate Democrats voted no, with Vice President Kamala Harris providing the tie-breaking vote in the evenly divided Senate. Democrats prefer the terms pregnant person, birthing people, and individuals with uteruses to, to describe what less woke people call mothers. This week's abortion landscape has stabilized a bit, but that can change at any moment. Right now, most abortions are banned in 10 states, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. Courts have blocked bans in six states, Arizona, Michigan, North Dakota, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Near total bans are expected to be enacted August 25th in Idaho and Tennessee, and on September 15th in Indiana. Heartbeat laws are in effect in Georgia, Ohio, South Carolina, and Tennessee, and blocked in one state, Iowa. A 15-week ban is being enforced in Florida. And finally, Brandy Patone, the woman who was charged with driving alone in a high-occupancy vehicle lane in Texas, has given birth to her second passenger. Patone was 34 weeks pregnant when police pulled her over and said it was illegal for her to be driving solo in that lane. Batone told them her baby should count as a second passenger. She was ticketed anyway. On Sunday, Batone posted on Instagram that my second passenger has arrived. We are so in love and we're spending all our time loving on baby girl. Batone's original court date was postponed with no word yet on a new date. Tomorrow will mark 10 years since the death of Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life. She was 88. She was working as a lawyer 
for the Labor Department in 1973 when the Roe v. Wade decision was announced, legalizing abortion throughout the country. She left her job and spent the next 40 years fighting to end abortion. Father Frank Pavone, Priest for Life National Director, and Janet Marana, Executive Director, met Nellie at the March for Life in 1994 and came to know her well in the decades they spent in the trenches together. We've invited them to share some recollections of this remarkable woman and what the overturning of Roe v. Wade would have meant to her. Well, hello, I'm Janet Morena, Executive Director of Priest for Life. And joined here with Father Frank Pavone, our National Director. And today we're, we're reminiscing about a very special uh, person, Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life, uh, who passed away on August the 13th, 10 years ago. And um, boy, Father, you know what I think of? When we heard of the overturning of um, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood, Nellie, Nellie worked for that her entire life. You know, mm -hmm. founding that first march. In, the first march was in 1974, the year after. And they thought, like, oh, after one year, we'll just march and people will get it and there'll be no more abortion, right? Right. There were some local people there in D.C. who turned to her. She was an attorney. Right. She had, she had um, uh, come from Texas. Right. And uh, she had served in the uh, military, actually, at right. the, doing uh, desk work and... You know, um, this was one of the things that awakened her to abortion. It was what happened with the Holocaust. And, you know, we're sending our servicemen over there to, to fight and to give their lives to stop atrocities like this, right? And then she said, well, they're killing babies. So some folks approached her and said, hey, we'd like to organize a march, right. you know, to protest this Roe versus Wade decision. They weren't making some kind of plan to let it go for 50 years, you know. No. They, they, they thought, <laughs> they let's thought, have an event. If let's we have, have this event, event, that's yeah. it. Everybody yeah. will abandon this whole abortion thing. And, and Nellie saw pretty quickly that we have to educate people. That's how we're going to change this. And that's when they had the March for Life Educational Fund is what it was called. And she believed, Father, and you can explain this to everybody, and what she called the life principles. That was the bedrock, the foundation on which they marched every year. So tell us yeah, about the life yeah, principles. Yeah, it's a series of principles that basically simply uh, reflects from various angles the truth that every human life is sacred and is equal and that you can never sacrifice violate or kill an innocent person. Simple. That summarizes the life principles. And she believed that the March for Life was not just a march, but an educational event that had to take place all through the year. We, we became good friends with her and colleagues. We oh, saw yes. her so often. We had so many conversations with her. And she would always stress uh, two things, the need to educate people about this and the need to be, because we're talking about principles that do not admit of any exceptions or compromises you know when you say you don't kill the innocent there's no exception to that it binds everyone at all times and all places right. she really believed in in uh, the absolute moral principle behind that and therefore said we need to work to protect all the babies without exception. That was her key theme. Well, her key motto was uh, no exceptions, no compromise. That's right. That was, of That's course, right. uh, their journal they printed every year at the March for Life. No exceptions, yeah. no compromise. It was foundational. Yeah. And then, Father, you know, I remember uh, back in 2002 when Georgette Forney and I were developing the Silent No More Awareness campaign and we were going to have those very first events in 2003. It was Nellie 
who embraced the idea, who encouraged us and then helped incorporate that we would then follow at the end of the March for Life in front of the Supreme Court, that would be the end of the March for Life at the Supreme Court with the mm-hmm. women telling about the, the regret. You know, yes, she was, that's right. She was very supportive of that idea. She believed that the horror of abortion, just like the horror of the Holocaust, because remember, like I say, it was the Holocaust that really shook her, her conscience and she saw Roe v. Wade and abortion. She said, wait a minute, this is the same evil. So just like the world has done with the Holocaust and we continue to expose that and learn from that, she believed abortion needed to be exposed both through the images of what abortion looks like. Right. She was a firm believer in that. And secondly, the damage it does to to women because, you know, she always complained about the, she she would call them the the feminist abortionists. Abortionists, yes. Feminist abortionists. (laughs) And, and that's uh, why she embraced the stories of the women who yeah. talked about their regret. And she she went so far as that uh, after the couple years of the campaign, then she would invite the women to come and stand as the backdrop up at the rally with their signs, I regret my abortion. And then she would have the Knights of Columbus help us get the women to the very front of the march. Mm-hmm. And there was a number of years that she allowed us to lead the march so that when we got to the Supreme Court, we would start the testimonies. And as the marches came by, they would they would hear the yeah, testimonies. So yeah. I, I always have to thank Nellie for really helping jumpstart the campaign for us the way she did and embrace that message. Exactly, you know? yeah. And of course, the March for Life still continues after her passing. But you know what I always think of, Father, too, is Nellie's red coat. Right, she always red wore that coat. red, that nice woolly red coat uh, at the march and at the rallies. And at and her wake, it was standing there, uh, right uh, uh, next to her uh, casket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was a great woman, devoted her entire life, basically. You know, from '73 on, that was it. She was laser focused on seeing an end to abortion, and so. We have to say, Nellie, uh, step one has happened with the overturning of Roe, but now the work continues. And one more final thought is that, you know, Nellie also believed in that the marchers would then go visit Congress. Yes. And how appropriate now, Father, that the judicial branch of government has now kicked it back to the, the state legislative. legislative, which mm-hmm. is in Congress. So mm-hmm. I hope this year, more than ever before, if you're coming to the March for Life, I hope you're going to also visit Congress because that's what we need to do. More appropriate than ever. That's right. Well, thanks, Father, and thank you, brothers and sisters. And always remember Nellie Gray as the founder of the March for Life. Thanks and God bless. Earlier this year, we became aware of a young man who likes to scale tall buildings around the country. After he returns to Earth, usually finding himself in handcuffs, reporters inevitably ask him why he climbs. His answer, for the babies. This evening, we've invited him to tell us more about the way he's taking the pro-life message to new heights. Hi, we have a very special guest here with us tonight. His name is Mason Deshaw, but you might know him as the pro-life Spider-Man. And uh, we're going we're gonna to hear about how his Spider-Man adventures and how he is pro-life. So welcome, Mason. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. So where, where are you talking to me from? I am talking to you from Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. Very good. And what I know about you, I think, is that you're 22. Is that right? I just turned 23, actually. Oh, well, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and you you fell in love with rock climbing when you moved to California as a teenager. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I used to hunt and fish and stuff like that when I lived in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved, you know, it's a lot harder to hunt in California and there's not much water. So I, I had to find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you move from rocks to buildings? 
Uh, you know, I sort of just saw the opportunity, right? Like there was this guy, his name was Alain Robert, and he climbed skyscrapers in America in the 90s. But since him, there hasn't been anybody in America who's been doing it. And so I just saw this open platform and decided that I uh, wanted to take it and use it for the pro-life movement. All right. So the very first building that you climbed was where and what building? Well, the first building I climbed was in August, and that was the Aria. I did that one to protest the COVID mandates. Mm -hmm. uh, so about a year ago, you're talking about? About a year ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was really good practice because I realized just how much uh, I needed to market myself more to get my story out there. And so I'm glad I did that. But my original plan was to always do it for the pro-life movement. OK, well, tell me about your pro-life story. When did when did that start for you? Uh, yeah, you know, like everyone expects me to have like this crazy like pro-life story. But, you know, it's just in high school, I might have gone back and forth as my friends did. But uh, as soon as you hear the arguments, they're sort of, uh, you know, you, you can't beat them. They're just so much more superior than, than the, than the pro-choice arguments. And so I guess I decided that I just I don't like killing babies. <laughs> um, well, yeah, <laughs> that's a good that's a good decision. Um, uh, all right. So now how many buildings have you climbed? I've climbed five now. Yeah. Now, where, where are they? So I, I started with the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. I did that one in May, and then I flew to New York, and I climbed the New York Times building, and then <laughs> the same week, I flew to Detroit, I climbed the Renaissance Center, and then I took about a month off, and then I did the um, the Devon Tower in, in Oklahoma City, and that one has sort of taken off the most. How do you climb a building, exactly? <laughs> the same way you climb rock. You look for <laughs> holds, and uh, what I try to look for are gaps between, like, whether they're fins or decorative, uh, you know, little beams. And mm -hmm. I stick my fingers behind it and I pull really hard until I'm at the top. But uh, it's it's a lot easier than rock climbing, surprisingly. At least mm -hmm. the buildings I've been doing, they're, they're way under the, uh, I guess, the threshold for hardness of climbing that I do on rock. Oh, okay. So, and you do it without ropes? Is that correct? Yeah, on rock, I always use ropes, but but mm -hmm. on the buildings, I, I don't just because it's I've never felt like I needed them. Mm -hmm. And logistically, it would just be really hard to climb the building with a rope by yourself because you need you really need a partner mm -hmm. to, to bring up the other end for you. Mm -hmm. What's the highest building that you've climbed? Uh, the Salesforce Tower. That was uh, 1,070 feet. <laughs> yeah. but And like, it's funny, like you learn the way the news works. Because in, in actuality, that's the tallest building in, in California. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the tallest roof line. But the Wilshire Grand has a, a, a spire that sticks up maybe like 30 feet more than, than the Salesforce. And so they, were, they, don't, they didn't report it the tallest building. No. So <laughs> because, because you were pro-life. If you were, were pro-choice, I would have been the tallest building. That, that's exactly. <laughs> I'd be rich if I was pro-choice. <laughs> so when, when you get media out there, are they surprised to learn that you're pro-life? And then, you know, do oh, they, try, yeah. to, do they yeah. try to keep that out of the story? Yeah, they definitely do. They report it in a, in a number of ways. They, they try to say, like, he's uh, protesting abortion rights. And they'll add that word just as like mm -hmm. a, a jab of some way. Or like I've noticed they, they say self-proclaimed pro-life Spider-Man <laughs> as like a, just a way to, I don't know, get me. Yeah, because um, well, they, they don't let us use the word pro-life ever. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was funny, like in Oklahoma, 
I got to the top of the Devon Tower. And normally when I get to the top of these buildings, the police are there and they, they actually arrest me and they take me in. What I'm doing isn't illegal, but they don't know if it is or if it isn't because they've never seen anything like it. So they always take me to jail and they let me out within a couple hours. But usually the police officers are really impressed with the climb. <laughs> and, you know, they, they, I don't know, they're just like flabbergasted. But when I was in Oklahoma, they were actually really impressed with why I was climbing. And they were, the police were happy that I was doing it for pro-life, which was, I guess, the benefit of climbing in a, in a pro-life state. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, All right. So uh, you have a, a, another climb planned in the near future? Yeah. Well, right I guess now, you don't, I'm, you don't I'm tell them in advance? Sort of waiting uh, on the temperatures to drop a little bit. Uh, you know, climbing, it's very weather dependent. And so you can't climb when it's too hot or if it's rainy. And so uh, waiting out the summer. So we'll see in the fall whether another one happens or not. But uh, I think it will. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for coming. Your website is ProLifeSpiderMan.com. Yep. Right? Or you can follow me on Instagram at ProLife.SpiderMan. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Mason. This is Leslie Palma for ProLife Primetime News. Well, Leslie, well, what he does is technically illegal. We do have to applaud his conviction to the pro-life movement. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what I love about it is that reporters who are covering the story have no idea until they talk to him that he's pro-life. And at that point, it's too late. Yes, <laughs> they can't yes. shut him up. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If you have an idea for a story or would like to expose something in the abortion industry, please email us at media at priestforlife.org. We hope that you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, Oceans of Mercy, Pro-Life is the New Punk Rock, and Primetime Live with Father Frank by making a donation to prolifegift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. And I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.